welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 936. Chapter 143. Bloodless. There was one final surprise waiting for me on my return to the university. I'd been back for a handful of days before I returned to my work in the fishery. While I was no longer in desperate need of money, I missed the work. There is something deeply satisfying in shaping something with your hands. Proper artificing is like a song made solid. It is an act of creation. So I went to stocks, thinking to start with something simple. As I was out of practice. As I approached the window, I saw a familiar face. Hello, Basil, I said. What did you do to get stuck here this time? He looked down. Improper handling of regents, he muttered. I laughed. That's not so bad. You'll be out in a span or so. Yeah. He looked up and gave a shame-faced grin. I heard you were back. You come for your credit? I stopped halfway through my mental list of everything I'd need to make a heat funnel. I beg your pardon? Basil cocked his head to the side. Your credit, he repeated. From the bloodless. He looked at me for a moment, then realization dawned on his face. That's right, you wouldn't know. He stepped away from the window for a moment, and returned with something that looked like an eight-sided lamp made entirely of iron. It was different from the arrow catch I'd made. The one I'd constructed was built from scratch and rather rough around the edges. The one, this one, was smooth and sleek. All the pieces fit together snugly, and it was covered in a thin layer of clear alchemical enamel that would protect it from the rain and rust. Clever. I should have included that in my original design. While well, part of me was flattered that someone had liked my design enough. To end the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. Jeremy's still away. I like seeing Basil again. This is nice. I, I almost wish we had more of the kind of ancillary uh, folk who hang around. I think I mentioned, uh, oh my gosh, what's the name of the the noble who's always running out of money, who was a friend of theirs? Oh, um... I think it started with an S. But you dated Denna. You know yeah. who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's killing me. I know, I need, me too. Uh, it, mm. Sim? Nope. <laughs> no, it, it was an S and it wasn't Sim. It wasn't an S? I don't know. It was an R. <laughs> Gonna use the, the Google machine or something. I don't know. Where would you even Google? Uh, I, I always remember thinking when he showed up at first that he'd be one of the core group. And I almost wonder if we are meant to like notice that he's not around so much after he dates Denna, if like Quoth has sort of pushed him out or if he has Savoy. Savoy. No, yeah, that's right. It was Savoy. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I knew it was an S. (laughs) Yeah. Like we meet all these ancillary people around and aside from his core friends, they don't show up that much. I remember thinking that Savoy, and it was not on the page, so I'm a little off of topic, but I remember thinking, oh, he's going to be one of their core friend group. And he sort of disappears after he dates Denna. And I wonder if that's intentional, right? If like Quoth has, or Savoy are like, they don't want to hang out anymore because they both liked Denna, right? 
anyway, all this is to say, it's nice to see Basil again. You may recall that he participated in the uh, in the plot to destroy the Mommet in a small way. So he's, you know, close, close-ish to Quoth. Is he the one who he dueled also? Is he the one who was a good duelist? I... I don't remember. I'm I don't sorry. remember. I don't think so. As I recall, his like character trait is that he's always bungling <laughs> things up in the uh, fishery and made to work the stocks for it. Yes. I'll be honest. I don't remember that many details. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a lot of book. It is a lot of book. And, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter who Basil is. It's rewarding if you do remember him. And, like, you know, all we need to... The fact that he's in there having... You know, Quoth goes, what did you do this time? And he's immediately cops to it and says improper handling of reagents. Um, you know, we are reminded that this is this guy's deal. He's a bit clumsy, but he's a good sort, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is the significance of the arrow catch or now, as it's known, the bloodless? Like, what do you mean by significance? Like to society, to Quoth? No, like why is it in the book? You know, like... Why Why have this sequence? Oh, I think that the arrow catch is a really good physical example of how Quoth, Quoth has a habit of meaning one thing but causing another. He has plans and like ways that we think things are going to work for him, sometimes ways that he thinks that things are going to work for him. I feel like they always seem to go like they go a little too far or they go a little wrong or it's like it's all a bit too intense. And I think the... The arrow catch is a good example of that, where he's made this thing, it has a good and safe purpose. You think it will get co-opted and no longer be good and safe? Yeah, at some point. Because so now it's being mass produced, and I think that at some point that will will affect its, like... Cause, because, like, Bloodless, while it is a catchier name than Arrow Catch... Like I don't it, know it, though. I, yeah. I feel like Arrowcatch explains better what it's supposed to be, but by naming it Bloodless, it has a bit more of like a sinister connotation. Yes, I. That's also what I was getting at. Yes, yeah. that. Like it, the, the name changed from Arrowcatch to Bloodless in its mass production, and I think that their reasoning for doing that would be like, oh, like we thought it'd be catchier and people would sell it and it would sell better, and that would be like the university people's reason for changing the name. But as readers of the book, it sounds more sinister because it has the word blood in it, even though it's the the less of it. But still. I'll talk about this. Remind me to talk about this tomorrow. We're led to believe, I think, that Kilvin is the one who finishes it and like put, makes it in this, in this form, the form that it's sold in. But actually, that's not true. We don't know who's made it in this form. Who knows if it's changed since Quoth's prototype, right? Someone else has been mucking with it. So Quoth's name is on it. It's formalized as his in the uh, in the artificery. But who knows if the ones that are out in the world are the same as the one he built. Indeed. And I think we trust Kilvin, right? But are we wrong to trust Kilvin? Or what if someone else did it? What if Ambrose got his hands on it? Hmm. Anyway, we'll get to that, right? But I, you know, in asking what's the significance of this, I think this is definitely setting something up. In this book, yes. it's setting up another windfall, right? Because Quoth, Basil's like, oh, you've got all this money attached to you now because you've made this. And that's all Quoth is really thinking about. And I think that's all we, the, the uh, readers, are meant to be thinking about. But, you know, as we're told, as we read the proper, the following pages, let's see what we're told and what we're not told. Because 
you know, there's a bit of a gap in the story. And also ask yourself, why is this being told to us now at the end of this book? What is it setting up in book three? Yes, I agree. It does feel like it's setting something up for sure. It does. It does. This is from Husky, who writes, Hi, Pagers. On page 917, you discuss the mystery box. I know there's not much point in speculating, but I always like the idea that the piece of the moon that Jack stole is in the box. It also explains the Lackless's reaction to keeping it secret and protection and protected. If the piece of the moon escapes, one can assume there would be dramatic repercussions and not great for their family. Signed, Arlo. So that's Arlo, uh, a.k.a. Husky on Discord. I've always liked that, too. I do think it's tied to the the Jacksmith. Also, I don't think it's a huge stretch to put together that the Lacklesses are descended from Jacks. Lackless, Lax, Jax, Jaxless, Jackis. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, those two families could be theoretically related. That's and, right. Yeah, it's possible. That's right. They could be. Quoth is Ambrose's cousin. Ugh. Bum, bum, bum. Weird. But uh, they wouldn't be like that close. No, they didn't grow up, you know, in the same village. No, I meant, I mean, like, I they would be like literal, like first cousins. They might be like third or fourth cousins, twice removed. Or no, something. no, I might, you know, they'd be distant. Yeah, exactly, distant cousins. But you know, I hope that's not true. Here's the thing: as much as I like the idea that Jackus and Lackless are are etymologically related, I don't like the Star Warsification of all fantasy where. Everyone is like related and blood is is like the the, the signifier, the thing that, that binds you together, like relations, family relations are like the things that that, you know, greatness is made of and blah, blah, blah. I think that's a bit of a tired trait. And frankly, that idea, <laughs> I'm going to say it, Uh-oh. ruined Star Wars. Uh, so <laughs> no one's here to, to disagree with me. Um, man. I'm still sore about, you know, I haven't even been able to watch Andor. Everyone says Andor is good, but I'm just like too heartbroken to even start a new Star Wars thing. It really. That is upsetting. Andor is good. That's what I've heard, but I can't do it. It really, it's like, it really is heartbroken. Like there's a, there's a pain in my chest when I think about it. Like Star Wars meant so much to me. And The Last Jedi was so much of like a step in the direction that I thought was like an interesting and challenging development for the kind of story Star Wars could tell and like wanted to be about. And then they planted a firm flag saying, no, we don't want to be about that. We don't want to tell stories about how anyone can be special and change the galaxy. Uh, We want to really double down on the idea that there's one magical space family. uh, Everyone is related to them. And if you are not part of that family, you are relegated to a one line behind a homophobic slug. Um, I mean... See, this is this is why the fence is good. This is an argument for the fence. No, Jordana, there is only one correct opinion about the last. I mean, the uh, the rise of Skywalker. No, no, no. What I mean is, you wouldn't be so hurt by by the bad movie if you had just been on the fence about everything, like I am. Only if you never love can you never be hurt. <laughs> so ask yourself: Is it worth never knowing love, never putting yourself out there, never taking that risk? In order to never be hurt, Jordana? I don't know. I really like not being hurt. Especially when it comes to TV. I really like Star Wars. (laughs) Like people is one thing, but uh, media is another. (laughs) I mean, I guess I've learned not to not to care about media. I mean, that's that's one of the things that we could all stand to learn is that the things that we like are not us. I think 
especially among a certain cohort of generally male, generally Western, uh, vocal internet people, there is a, a, a voice that is totally impossible. They cannot distinguish what they like from who they are. So a critique of the things that they like, they interpret as a critique of them personally. And, you know, you could expand that to, uh, to kind of analyze if there's something inherent in the way that we socialize uh, people who are assigned male at birth to uh, avoid looking inward and, and understanding who they are and what they actually uh, want and, and enjoy and instead uh, socialize them to, uh, to look outward to consumption. Again, it comes back to capitalism. It's that uh, the things you consume are indistinguishable from the things that you are mm. uh, and all the various troubles that causes. And, you know, I'm, I'm wounded by that, right? I am a victim of that too, because I, for a very long time was Star Wars. I think I've said this before that I, uh, I, you, know, you do you have know, an, an, uh, unusually a lot of Star Wars knowledge. <laughs> Exactly. Well, for, you know, for a good, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years from, you know, age like seven through early 20s, uh, maybe not quite early 20s, but like through a lot of my my school times uh, when there weren't, you know, real friends to be had, there was fiction. And at the time, Star Wars was the kind of well-realized world that you could feel like you could add to. Not like you could live in literally, but like it sort of invited you to participate in it. And I did. Um, and that's one thing that I think was good about the what was the Star Wars expanded universe is that they never filled in all the corners of and like that's, I mean, that's still true about Star Wars now. Like they've never filled in all the corners of it. So there's always something that you can kind of feel that you can contribute to it. Um, but at the time, that was when the expanded universe was only just starting. Right. I, you know. Um, so it really felt like full of possibility and there were all kinds of stories to be told in it. So I spent a lot of time thinking about it and reading about it and like, yes, what you might today, you might call it, you know, making OCs, uh, and like, you know, posting about your OCs. Uh, I never did fan fiction, but I certainly like had characters and did a lot of doodling and drawing and imagining of, uh, the various stories there. And that got me through a lot of hard times, you know, and, and Star Wars was in a very real way, or a big part of me for a long time. And to have uh, the, the last Jedi in particular, which was very much to my mind, a call in for that. It was sort of saying, yes, this is true. Yes, it is for everybody. And we're making space for it here. We're stepping away from the idea that it needs to be about the Skywalkers and the Jedi and the Sith and the religious war. And it, invited in these bigger ideas and the critiques of itself. I think that was the most important thing is that for something like that to mature and start telling mature stories, they need to address the critiques of itself. And the last Jedi started to do that. That's why KOTOR 2 will never get remade because KOTOR 2 is a very uh, stringent critique of Star Wars. And in many ways is one of the best bits of Star Wars media out there. It explicitly addresses the idea that there's an endless religious war between two sects of the same religion that has been tearing the galaxy apart for thousands of years and says maybe that's not a good way to uh, to run a galaxy, uh, among other things. And uh, The Last Jedi kind of dips its toe in that water and was eviscerated for it by the people uh, that I know. And I, I 
must count myself among them. Uh, the people who cannot fathom, cannot handle a critique of the things that they like because they interpret it as a critique of themselves. Oh, anyway, without whoa, Jeremy here too. Mind blowing. The idea that, that's the, right, yeah, that's right. that it's the critique right of the back. thing they like and therefore it's the critique of them. What? Damn. Yeah, that's that. That's the only Fucking explanation that makes any sense. <laughs> you know? That's the only way. Are you being No, I can't tell. I'm not. That's incredible. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't realize that before. No, that's the, like, why would anyone get so like angry about um, some made up garbage? Yeah, see, I, I asked any... that question and then was just satisfied in there not being an answer because some people just are the way they are. But the idea, like, that that's that's it. Like, it. Yeah, no, they, they are the way they are because they they don't have the the space or the uh the the not right to say the culturing but they don't they haven't like they don't exist in a in a community where it's appropriate to like do that thinking about yourself yeah uh and often that is entwined with masculinity uh which is you know obviously it's not only males who are who are this way but um i think it's all tied into toxic masculinity which is self tied into capital uh, you know, it's all it's all an intertwined shit show, and I've gone on for a, at least half the runtime of this episode without Jeremy to, to stop you or to uh, jump in. I mean, me, I'm fascinated me. by this, but um, I also feel like I learned something. So you know, thanks. That was that was You're lovely. Welcome. I feel rejuvenated in my new knowledge of this sort of negative thing. But you know, whatever. Um, yeah. Yep. Join me next week for my next talk. Why gamers are like that. <laughs> Which is another thing I spend a lot of time thinking about. Why are gamers like that? Listeners, you may find out, you may not, on tomorrow's episode of Page of the Week.